Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for joining today to another um, episode of Lagaya Means Happiness. I'm so happy to have you all here um, for a very special episode um, with Dr. Shahana. I want to make sure I pronounce that correctly, who is going to speak with me about um, a topic that's very difficult to talk about. Um, it affects a lot of people, actually, I don't have a statistic ready to pull out of my pocket, but I should have, but it affects a lot of people and um, people are kind of ashamed to talk about it because the symptoms and the symptoms are very scary and that is harm OCD. And um, first of all, I want to say hi to Dr. Shahana. Hi. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for joining so much. You are a, she's joining us from Canada. She is a family um, medicine doctor, actually. So she is a licensed doctor, and she has experience with um, harm OCD, which we will get into in just a second. But the first thing I want to do is just read a quick um, definition of what harm OCD is for those of you who aren't aware. So harm OCD is defined as obsessions, intrusive thoughts and images, and compulsions regarding hurting oneself and or others around them. Individuals with harm OCD struggle with what these thoughts mean about them and their character. That's very important. They live in fear of acting upon these thoughts and or wanting to act upon them. So harm OCD is just based in fear. And a lot of the time, um, and I'll let Dr. Shahana take it away in just a second here, but a lot of the time, you know, people who have it just live in this constant fear that anything they touch or anything they do, you know, they they could possibly hurt themselves or hurt other people. And they have prevailing intrusive thoughts that come into their mind. And mine was always, whenever my anxiety would get really bad, I would become afraid that I was a cutter and then I would cut myself. And I had my psychiatrist who I trusted very much tell me, look, I, you're not a cutter. If you were a cutter, we would have known that when you were a teenager. And, you know, most likely cutters don't, you know, it doesn't happen late in life usually. It happens when you're younger. You're not a cutter. That was enough for me for that time. I was able to like take his word and stop worrying so much. But after my baby was born and I had severe postpartum anxiety, these thoughts came back about cutting myself. And it's mostly fear. And it goes against your character, things that you would probably never do either to yourself or to other people. So I lived in constant fear that I was going to cut myself and I would stay away from knife racks and I would stay away from scissors and I would just sit in my apartment scared while I was trying to take care of my newborn as well. And I was deathly afraid that I would start getting intrusive thoughts and fears about hurting her, which thankfully never happened. It was always focused on me. So with that, we don't have that much time with Dr. Shahana and I want to maximize it. So Dr. Shahana, please um, tell us your experience with Harm OCD. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me on. This, as you prefaced, is a really, really difficult topic. I have been, I did about 40 podcasts last year and only on a handful of them did I actually use the words, you know, postpartum OCD? Because let's be honest, I think we live in a society where anxiety and depression, thankfully, have become more accepted in part of our lexicon. Um, maybe even too much so. They've gone from being a diagnosis or in terms of just a description to how we feel. 
But one of the issues, though, is that the minute we start to use words like bipolar or schizophrenia or psychosis or intrusive thoughts or even suicidality, a lot of the times people become wide-eyed. They don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And you feel them physically or literally and even worse emotionally take a step back from you. Yeah. And it's really hard when you are also in the profession. You just mentioned a psychiatrist. I work a lot in the realm of mental health. I'm also just, I'm also a family doctor. So I see everything from a broken toe to a headache and everything in between. And we are expected to know everything about everything. And you try to until the patient is you. So You know, in a really quick backstory, I think the reason, and I have to be honest, even coming on this specifically to discuss this, usually when I'm doing a podcast, it might be about, you know, self-awareness or mindfulness or just mental health in general. And then we segue into my story. But to come on with the primary message being my story still causes me an element of, not an element, but an elephant of absolute fear. Absolute fear. Because talking about this doesn't get easier. No, it's it important. And the only thing that's making me do this right now is because when I was dealing with this seven years ago, the only solace I had was reading about two lines at the end of a personal blog on a woman's page where she opened up about this mysterious thing. And I remember sitting on vacation with my husband when my little one was five months going, oh my word, There's this woman halfway across the world. I don't know who, I will never know who, but she's put this into words. So if I can do that in this platform with you and help another person, woman, family, because it's not just the woman, this can affect the partner if that happens to be a man as well. And it can affect the rest of the family as we both know in a big, big way. So just to kind of take a step back, we talk a lot about postpartum depression, Right? We talk about postpartum baby blues, which we always say about 80% of women experience. Postpartum depression, much more well-known. You know, The women might feel a lack of motivation. They might feel guilt. They might not be sleeping, but who sleeps well as a new, new mom in the, in the beginning anyways, too? But, you know, just, right? Yeah. And just recently, are we talking about postpartum anxiety, the counterpart, the idea that No, it's not just about not getting out of bed. It's about, I am so incredibly anxious. I feel keyed up. I feel on edge. I'm having panic attacks constantly. I can't leave the house with my child. So if you look at the umbrella of postpartum anxiety, it's underneath that umbrella that OCD falls. Absolutely. Right? So OCD was actually removed from the DSM-5 criteria under the umbrella of anxiety, ironically and surprisingly. But the reason I mention it that way is that still we can, most of us can grasp it as a subtype, especially in the postpartum world of severe, severe anxiety. One of the issues though, is that a lot of us might walk around having moments of anxiety. Anxiety is an adjective. It's not a diagnosis. The differentiation is that when you have OCD, but let's be specific, this is typically pure O OCD. We OCD has been, you know, really jested at on TV, right? It's the or even in social media, it's the person who's washing their hands constantly. It's the person who can't leave the house because they're checking all the time. And checking and washing compulsions, yes, tend to be the norm. 
but there is a very small subtype of OCD called pure obsessional, where you don't have the compulsions, where you're not washing your hands till they're raw, or where you're not flicking on and off the light switch 217 times. Like You don't have the behaviors, you just have the thoughts. And what you mentioned is those thoughts are called the intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. And the intrusive thoughts tend to come in different flavors, harm being the most common, mm-hmm. religious being one of the second most common, and sexual being one of the third. So those are the three buckets. And I'm put giving you guys words and language because if we don't, if I just say, you know, harm and a couple of other ones, those people who are suffering from sexual or religious intrusive thoughts feel like suddenly they're alienated. So I want you to have the words and the dialogue and the discussion so that if you are bringing this up to a trusted and hopefully educated healthcare practitioner, you are well-informed because I certainly wasn't. And I was the healthcare practitioner, right? Yes. Right? So this is, you know, for me, yes, it was harm. And, you know, our stories differ in this sense because when I was listening to your story, all I could think about was, you know, I, I wish it was only just me that I was having the harm thoughts to, and it wasn't. It was towards my children. And mm-hmm. to say that, you feel like you want to literally vomit. It is so awful. And the feeling is what we call clinically and medically ego dystonic. It's a long word, but it basically means that you so don't want to have these feelings, but you keep having the thoughts. And they go against your character. Yes, yes. They go against your character and they attack the things that you care about the most. And the ironic part is, is that the people who value their family, value safety, value compassion, value caring for a loved one. They've done studies that people who value this so incredibly much are at a higher predisposition for having Mm -hmm. harm OCD. Because you see, it's the flip side. It's that if this is, if you didn't value caring about this to this degree, you wouldn't have this kind of reaction to it, right? So you have to hold the sacredness of, you know, being there for your family, caring for your family, not wanting any harm to a point of fear and anxiety so that when you do have the ego dystonic intrusive thoughts, it cuts you to your core, right? And that's exactly what happened to me. So mine is a little bit of a different story because I started having these thoughts way before the postpartum time period. The thoughts happened when I was four or five. So sometimes I look back and go, how I didn't, this was 30 some odd years ago. We had no words for this diagnosis. OCD was well known then, but I didn't have any of the compulsions. So once again, if you are somebody with pure OCD, you fly under the radar. Because yeah. no one notices, no one's watching. And in children sometimes, well, oftentimes you might have a little bit of the compulsions, but as you grow up, the compulsions start to fade and all you're left with is the intrusive thoughts as well too. So mine started much earlier. And the key part of that is that if you have a predisposition like myself, who had this as a child, undiagnosed, untouched, did not seek help for it, Or if you have a family history of such, when you go into the postpartum period, armor yourself. And I I didn't tell any of my OBGYNs or my family doctors who were taking care of me. All I talked about was my nausea and my, you know, the, the things that I felt were accepted in pregnancy, the fatigue and the back pain. 
God forbid I ever talk about this history because I refuse to accept that it was part of my history. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so ever since you were four or five years old and you started to manifest these symptoms or you started to have intrusive thoughts about hurting others, that was what it was, you never sought out help. You never knew. Did you know what was wrong? Did you know? Yeah. No. I just no. I was deathly afraid of these things. I imagine as a five-year-old, you think your whole character, you just, you don't have much of a sense of character at five. You're just scared. You're just yeah. really scared. So my mom was amazing and I would talk to her and she did the best she possibly could at the time. I look, you know, I think you never, now when you're a parent, it's so easy to blame your parents and say, oh, you should have taken me for help and stuff. But you do the best thing you can at the time. Mm -hmm. And she told me very clearly, she's like, I didn't want them to medicate you. I didn't want them to, you know, diagnose you with something that you didn't have. So she actually ironically gave me the same tools that a counselor 20 years later gave me. So she okay. was doing the best thing that she could at the time to protect me from what was the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what happened, unfortunately, was that shame and stigma only festered Yeah, because I didn't have a label. I didn't know what this was. I just call it, it was a monster. It was a monster and I felt sickly ill every time it happened. And I did what we always do. What do you do when you have an emotion you don't want? You deny it, you suppress it, or you blame somebody else for that. You have the emotion. And mm -hmm. as I went through my adolescence, I would kind of vary between those with suppression being the number one. And I'll never forget when I was, I was in my psychiatry rotation at Vancouver General Hospital, and there was two charts in front of me, a patient with schizophrenia and a mm -hmm. patient with pure O obsessional OCD. And I took the chart and I handed it to my, my friend of the pure O. I said, you take this one. I'll take the patient with the schizophrenia because I oh. couldn't. I couldn't come near that. It was no, I'm not going there. I'm not associated with that. At that time, after going through medical school, I finally had the words because once again, it's not like we had a lot of teaching on this in medical school is one little line underneath an anxiety slide saying asterisk subtype pure OCD. And I go home and I call my fiance going, I'm not crazy. Yeah. I'm not crazy. There is something there. Mm -hmm. So this is the avoidance behavior that I think a lot of us might feel or go through you do not need a prior history like myself to have pure OCD or harm OCD postpartum. You do not need to have that. They've done a study that showed 99% of new parents have intrusive thoughts. 99%. Yes, I've but seen that. I've heard about that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the intrusive thought business is very common. We just don't talk about it at all. We don't talk about it. But the people with pure O, the people who have the actual diagnosable harm OCD, it affects you, cuts you to your core so that you can't stop thinking about it. And every time you do, you get into this sense of shame, guilt spiral. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, And you don't go get help. No. Are you kidding? So now- You don't now even know who to get help from. You know what I mean? Like navigating the healthcare system, and I'll get right back to you. Um, but you know, in Canada, I think it's very different. And I don't know if it's better or worse, but I know that in the United States, the healthcare system is like this this jigsaw puzzle that like you have to be a genius and you have to almost work in it in order to navigate it. And so when you're dealing with something that is so 
so, like you said, guilt-ridden, shame-ridden that you don't want to just talk to your your family doctor and you don't just want to talk to, you know, the nurse that they've given you from your health insurance after you have a baby, you have like an assigned nurse and they ask you how you're doing and you don't want to talk to them about it. And then you certainly don't want to fill it out on the form at the pediatrician's office because you're afraid they're going to take custody of your child away or they're going to think that you're ready to hurt your child or go insane. And so you just fake everything. And that just, just, manifest it further because you're just like trying to run away from it. But when in actuality, that's just making it worse. So anyway, that was, yeah, segue. You're you're absolutely right. And then God forbid you're given the wrong diagnosis. And I've seen Mm -hmm. that firsthand happen because what we, what I need to point out is that postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis, they are extremely different, extremely different Postpartum psychosis is very rare, but it does happen. I've seen it happen. And that is where the woman is actually having, you know, auditory hallucinations where they're hearing voices. They have become delusional where they really believe that someone is after their safety or someone is persecuting them or they're hearing the radio talk to them and that kind of thing too. But sometimes it is very easy for a clinician to go, wait a second, Maybe you have postpartum psychosis. And imagine leaving with that diagnosis, which is completely different, completely different treatment than postpartum OCD. And extremely scary. Extremely scary. Extremely scary. So I think even worse is going in there, first of all, getting nothing. The person doesn't know what you're mentioning. B is getting the wrong diagnosis. And then even worse, even getting a wrong treatment plan, which we all know can take some time as well. This is why this, the, the milliseconds that you have, and I'm talking to myself as a practitioner, when a patient opens up to you, you can either lean in or you lean away. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until you become a patient and you have the courage to see, literally see those words leave your mouth mm-hmm. that you go, someone catch these words for me. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, the words fall and I fall too. Because you are in such a vulnerable time period. And now when I see a, you know, I see a young baby for a visit, I'll check the young baby, but I will look directly at the mom and not just ask, how are you? But I will make an effort to say, you know, 99% of patients, of new parents, not just moms and dads, both have intrusive thoughts. Some are really persistent and some really affect the quality of your life. Are, are you having anything like that? So you introduce it to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That helps so much. Now I've normalized the playing field. Yeah. I've taken the stigma away. And And how often do they tell you, yes, I am having those symptoms? Yep. Yep. So I would say kind of around the staff, maybe one in 10 might say, yeah, I am. And in that spectrum, some might say, I'm not, you know, I'm bothered by it, but I'm able to kind of distract myself and get over it. And then some, then, then the tears come out. Then the, mm-hmm. then the, how did you know comes out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like literally, how did you know? And then I, you know, then it's that moment of connection going, no, I've got you in this. I've got you in this and you're not alone. And there's a, sometimes I always, there's, you, you, we walk a fine line as a practitioner because some people want an alphabet soup after their name of diagnoses. They want ADHD and this and that. And I need to be very careful to say, you don't need all these diagnoses, but sometimes, sometimes having the right language that for this is what you have feels mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. because you don't feel alone, right? Yeah. So I think it's that double-edged sword where 
yes, you do need to diagnose things sometimes and say, you know what, you're not alone in this. And there is a there is a treatment plan. I was going to say clear treatment plan. But I think in psychiatry, there's never quite a clear it's not an infection where here's an antibiotic seven days later, you're great. No. It does not work that way. You know, definitely for, not. And so I always tell patients, one day we will be at a point where I can do your genomics and understand that, you know, you, you metabolize this drug in this way. So you should take this drug. We are not there yet at all and might never be in psychiatry. I don't know, but I look at their family history. If they're on medication, I look at what they've tried before, but medication might take you one, two, three, four tries and you need to be I, I always tell my patients, you are not a guinea pig, but we need to work together to make sure that this is tolerable and efficacious for you, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, counseling is the same way. You don't just yeah. go to one counselor and say, yes, I found my person. You might need a couple. That's and, for sure. You know, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and you might change. You might evolve and say, you know, I was like that. I got everything out of a counselor that I really felt. And she was wonderful and said, I think it's time that, you know, we find somebody else who can help you with this. And you could only hope that you would be able to kind of match your journey that way. But one quick thing about OCD is that OCD doesn't respond as well to CBT, which is the most common cognitive behavioral therapy because the thoughts are ego dystonic. It's not like you're wanting to have these thoughts. Exactly. So you need to find a practitioner or a counselor or a psychologist. And I was lucky to find one who is trained in this. But how can you find one if you're just going and looking at an anxiety counselor? That's apples and oranges too. So those are the two things I want to point out is give yourself time with medication. Mm -hmm. And Hopefully you have somebody who can shepherd you along the way because it is a complex and difficult process. And don't be frustrated if the first counselor or the second counselor you find isn't the right one. But hopefully by hearing this, you have the language that you need to use and the tools to advocate for yourself. And you are, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking for anyone out there, but for myself, I, I'm never, it's not black or white. I'm not better and I'm not fixed. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on this. Some yeah. days are, I, do I still get harm OCD? Yeah, absolutely. I do. You do. Does it, does it terrify me to my core? Absolutely. Does, have I been in bed crying about this and hugging myself around my knees going, I speak about this. Mm-hmm. I seem so confident right now, but this is, this is real. This is real to me. You know, this is what I was born with, I believe, if I've had this since I was four or five. So does it take me and kit me to rock bottom? Absolutely. But at least now, at least now that thought of you are going crazy, you are the only one that has this, you live in shame and stigma. Every time I give it a voice, every time I air it out, literally, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not as alone in this. And it's the silence that breeds anxiety. And do you see a therapist on a regular basis to talk about all this? Yeah. So good question. You know, I think the therapist that I had seen when I was, things were awful with my, when my first, my eldest son is now seven. And what helps, sorry, there are different types of treatments for OCD. So there's like exposure therapy. Yes. There's, you know, and that didn't honestly work for me. Yeah. Um, and, and what ended up working for me was more of a psychodynamic, like traditional therapy. Yeah. Um, but I know that a lot of people are helped by exposure therapy and different types of OCD specific therapies. So what helped you? Yeah, I think EMDR really helped me. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. (laughs) That was was pretty intense for me. And that really did shift a lot of things. But, you know, the postpartum period is you were sleep deprived. You were, you know, I wasn't, I'd gone back to work when my kids, my, my son was four months and that was my way of escaping. So here I was trying to work and also take care of a newborn. And as we all know, there's nothing linear about taking care of a newborn. One day they're sleeping, the next day they're teething. It's just like everything is everywhere. Um, and I think I, once again, we have to realize that OCD is often not alone. It's, I think it's very rare for somebody just to have harm OCD and have yeah. no anxiety outside of that. Often you are going to have elements of generalized anxiety disorder plus maybe some OCD. And it's, you know, so the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy can help you for the other anxiety and a lot of that guilt, because what happened for me is I was drowning in my own guilt. So I couldn't get out of that. There was so much shame. And we want to realize that shame and guilt are two completely different things, but it was more, it was more shame than it was guilt because it was affecting who I was as a person. It was Mm -hmm. telling me that I, that, that, that the manifestation of me and my deepest fear of being a bad mom was actually becoming true. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, different therapies for different segments. So for the generalized anxiety, for some of these thought distortions that you're having, CBT works really well. For some of the trauma stuff that you tr- are trying to let go of, EMDR works well. I have to agree with you, exposure therapy, I found that a little bit too much for me, to be honest. I yeah. I, I couldn't or... It wasn't the right fit for me. And now I see a counselor, you know, once a month or so. And a lot of that, to be honest, is to help me talk about what I talk about on stage as a keynote right now, which is emotional literacy, because that is what I try to focus on. You know, Mm -hmm. emotional literacy for me is how to understand and react and become more agile with the emotions that I'm feeling every day. And the OCD can be part of that, but understanding instead of just suppressing all the time, which is what I was so incredibly used to. So that is the next phase of my journey that I'm working on. Wow. Emotional literacy. How do you define that? Yeah. So emotional literacy with this, we can think of it the same ways that we teach our kids in gym class to run and move and hop and bounce and do all these things. We want to see their bodies moving and becoming more agile. Emotional literacy is the same way. It's being able to understand do you even know what emotion you're feeling? Do you know how to become self-aware, which has mm. become such an overused term right now? What are your emotions trying to tell you? Because the ironic part is, if you don't value something, you don't have an emotional reaction to it. Yep. If I didn't care so strongly about being a mom and being a good mom, I wouldn't be walking around in shame. I'd be like, I don't care. So if you know your emotion, you know your value system. Yeah, I see. So I wanted to, I just wanted to ask you, um, really quickly because I want to get into the nitty gritty of things too. Um, so I said, you know, my main like obsession or, or harm thought was being worried about cutting myself. What were some of the thoughts that would go through like your head just to normalize the conversation for people out there who might be like scared of what they're thinking about? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It could be anything from like, walking down the stairs with the child and like dropping the child down the stairs or drop it, you know, that kind of thing mm-hmm. or any, once again, sharp objects or, you know, really doing anything that would, would cause harm to my child, whether even like when you're changing the diaper, could you take a pillow and do something to the, like all of these types of things. Would, would just, 
yeah, would, would literally mm-hmm. cause you, you'd have the thought and feel like you were going to throw up. Like it was just, mm-hmm. and then the more that you felt like you were going to throw up, that's what OCD does. It just feeds you more of it. It just yeah. feeds you more, feeds you more, feeds you more. It doesn't go, oh, I don't like that thought. It says, no, you don't like it here. Here's a bucket loaded. You got it some more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is the most vicious thing. (laughs) It is so vicious. Vicious. It's so vicious, vicious, especially when you're taking care of a new little human that is completely dependent on you and you can't believe you're having these horrible thoughts, you know, like you can't believe it. No, you, and so, you know, I'll be very, very transparent and honest for the longest time then, because I didn't seek help until my, my son was almost a year. Like that's a long time. And I, I knew what I had. That was the ironic part. Like I, cause I had gone to medical school before becoming a mom, but I refused to accept what I had. And I think the other piece was that even though like my husband was trying to be very empathetic, but you know, don't be upset at your partners necessarily too, because it's a very hard thing to explain. Like Mm -hmm. you and I, like suddenly we just like, I say it, you're nodding, you get it, you get it. Like there's this very common phrase and dialogue, but but he's someone who's not going through it. All you can ask is that they're empathetic, but sometimes they don't understand the severity or or really the depths of despair. Because even my husband would ask me, he's like, he's like, no, you're not. And that doesn't really help because you know you're not, you know, gonna act on this, but it feels so real. And it, it feels, feels so, so real. It feels so real. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be crying in a corner. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. literally prostrating to my child like this saying, I'm sorry. Like, this is, I'm sorry. Like, you know, all of this is really, really, I have it's to keep so reminding hard. myself we're doing this to help somebody else. But this is hard. It's this really hard to hard. discuss. Yeah. I don't even know. You know, my best friends don't know this about me. I've never really? talked to them. No, no. No, unless I hear it on this podcast. My father oh, doesn't know this. Really? No, no. We don't, you don't sit around the dinner table going, you know, my mom, oh. my sister, um, they've been such advocates and such support. Like my mom, I think, still has a hard time. It's, you know, sometimes, and I hate to say this, but other diagnoses are a bit cleaner. Like, yeah. you know, okay, I, I can wrap that up in a bow and, and give it to you here. Like, you know. But my mom now is so sweet. She's like, because I'm on medication right now. I'll be the first to admit that. And that was a huge turning point for me. Great. That's, I'm glad to hear that. Huge, huge. Medication is not for everybody, but work with your practitioner to see if that is the right choice for you. And she'll say, Shahana, does a diabetic need insulin? She's like, so don't ever feel like that. Like, you know, that, that was the analogy. And I, that was her way of making me feel safe and her way of making me feel validated. So I appreciate that so much too. But, um, no, yeah. So in terms of the, the actual nitty gritty harm stuff, yeah, it was it was down to really, and the thing about harm OCD is that it just levels up. Yeah, it just levels up. So the yeah. minute that you think that you're having a thought that doesn't cause that visceral reaction, it'll just keep getting worse and worse and worse. So my out for the longest time was that I didn't want to be here anymore. I thought that was the best possible scenario, and. The ironic part is that I talk about that all the time to my patients. You know, suicidality I, is my bread and butter. I deal in that all the time with patients, not not myself. But when I literally thought that that was the best idea for me, uh, was was my was the, the time I thought I, I need help. I need oh my help. goodness! Yeah. So so you actually felt like you would be better off not here. Oh yeah. Oh. 
oh yeah, it's a very, I'm not saying it flippantly or blatantly. I'm just actually being completely and authentically, truly honest because that brought me solace. That brought me comfort. And because it brought me so much comfort and because I do this on a day-to-day basis, it See, the irony, you think that you're, the doctor sitting in front of you has it all together. Like, you know, we're really good at giving the advice. But when it comes to yourself, it's why are the rates of suicide almost three times as high in the medical profession? I'm yeah. not saying it's because of harm OCD. It's because sometimes we're, you know, who takes care of us? Yeah. It's not yeah. that easy, right? Or it's much easier to dish out advice than to take it. So, yeah, so yeah it was when that, that thought became so comforting, so... Um, it's such a good idea. That was that was the turning point for me. And that wow. was just reaching out to an anonymous physician helpline and letting that those words, those words leave my mouth, however hard that was. Right. And sometimes that's what begins the process of healing is just letting those words come out of your mouth, you know, and just letting it out like this yeah. torturous feeling or these words that are going around that you're like, I can never ever divulge this to anyone else. But then when you finally do, there's like a freedom in it, you know, and then you can actually work on it because you know, deep down, or maybe you didn't, but I would think that you would have known deep down, you know, I don't want to leave my family. I don't really want to leave my baby, but I just am having these horrible thoughts and it would be better if I wasn't here. Right. So it's just, so for people who, who, might think they have this or just people who, you know, maternal mental health in general, when they feel like they, they're, they're dealing with these types of issues and emotions, what do you suggest they do? Like the healthcare system is so hard to maneuver and you're in Canada and I'm here in the U S so I have my spiel. Um, but what, what do you, but there, but we're all like one big, you know, we're all just one big family in terms of like, being a people and having these types of issues and needing help. So what, what do you suggest someone do? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can speak to what, you know, you could do in like in our healthcare system, but I think that the most important thing is free, like a, we're having this conversation because half the battle is that you feel alone in this. Mm -hmm. When you feel like an N of one, that you are the only person in the world going through this, you, you deny yourself the, the essence of self-compassion Mm because self-compassion is rooted in the fact that you are not alone, Mm -hmm. right? But if you truly believe you are alone, how can you be compassionate towards yourself? So A is realizing that other women, other people are going through this and somebody out there must have a story like you. So that, that brings me, brought me a lot of solace at one point too, when I read those two lines on the blog. Second is find your trusted tribe. Right, whether that be a close friend, a parent, your spouse, so agree. trusted tribe. Like, and this is not the time to tell, you know, someone that you don't really trust. Like, you know, you need to find someone that when you tell this to, they are going to catch you. They are going to envelope you in their love and they are going to help shepherd you. So I pray and I hope that you have at least one or two or three people like that in your lives that you can do that. And mm-hmm. the third is that either yourself or somebody in that trusted tribe, find a trusted person that can take you to that next step. And it's like climbing a mountain, right? One person takes you to one rock, the next person takes you to the other, but know that there is something there at the top for you. And hopefully that's a level of, of peace. You know, it's never, I'm, I'm talking about myself. It's never like it's going to suddenly extinguish and go away. 
But what I can pray and hope for you is that through your journey with all of this, and some rocks you might stumble on and some rocks will be really strong for you, but at their top, hopefully there is an essence of peace. Yeah. 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 That's perfectly said. Thank you. Um, Well, I know that you were a little crunched for time and we were going to do a half an hour. So it's now been 36 minutes. We should probably wrap it up. Um, Just anybody out there who is listening to this, who is like, that's me, that's those intrusive thoughts. And these, this is happening to me. Please recognize that you are not alone and that there are resources and people out there to help you. And just like Dr. Um, Shahana just said, you, you need to find your tribe and your trusted resources to share this with, but you definitely need to get it out. You can't just like try to keep it inside and run away from it and, or, you know, just try to keep it internal because it's just going to keep festering and festering and festering. And, um, I'm always here. You can always email me or direct message me and I can try to help you, but there's definitely resources. Um, if you go onto my website, www.lagayameanshappiness.com, there's a support tab with some resources there that are national that you can definitely, um, get help through. But, um, First and foremost, you know, finding a doctor that you trust, that you can work with, that knows OCD, just like Dr. Shahana just said, Um, a doctor that is a professional in OCD in particular. There are different modalities of treatment and you have to find the one that's right for you. And you just can't be ashamed and you can't, you know, let that guilt overtake the need to talk about it and get it out and actually get the help that you need. So I will say that um, I personally am doing a lot better. I think when my anxiety acts up, that's when my intrusive thoughts come. But being able to label them as such as intrusive thoughts and let them, you know, there's a lot of different therapies, but you can let them float by. There's a lot of different ways of looking at those thoughts so that they're not so scary in the moment. And now that I know some of those coping skills, I can deal with my harm OCD in a much better way. And you know, sometimes guys, I'm still scared to be alone with my two and a half year old. I'm going to be honest. Like I'm still scared sometimes because I have these thoughts because especially when she's just there, me and her, that's a trigger sometimes. And I start thinking, Oh God, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I, and you learn to deal with it and you learn how to, like Dr. Shahana said, find peace with it. And so it's just so important. And so Dr. Shahana, I hope you're doing better. Um, are you doing mm-hmm. yep yep more tools the more tools the better the more coping skills the better the more education the better um but anybody that's out there google harm ocd there's also a great book out there called, um, you know what? I will put it up on my website. Um, I don't want to misname it right now, but there's a great book about harm OCD and how to get through it. Um, lots of resources when you go looking. So, um, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Um, and you can always reach out to me. So 
Um, thank you, Dr. Shahana, for your time. I so appreciate you being vulnerable and coming onto this platform and sharing your story. I thank you so much. And everybody, thank you so much for joining today. Um, please subscribe to the podcast and write a review if you feel like it. And do look at the new website, www.lagayameanshappiness.com. There's a lot to see there. Um, a blog, support all the podcast episodes in a little digital shop that supports NAMI. So I'm very proud of that site and just really happy to have you all here. Um, it's a very early Friday morning here. So have a wonderful weekend and have a great weekend, Dr. Shahana. Thank you so much. And yes, and I will talk to all of you soon. Thank you. Thank you.